Be yourself because everyone else is taken. That is a quote by Oscar Wilde. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 62. I have to continue to just tell you the time is coming near for the launch of my book, From a Mess to Amazing, and I am overjoyed. I'm excited. I am also kind of nervous because it's new, it's different. And I just want to make sure if if it touches one person, my job is done. The topic of this week's episode is how to resolve conflict. My guest this week is Charmaine Hammond. Charmaine is an author, speaker, facilitator, and consultant. She is an expert in communication, collaboration, resilience, and conflict resolution. Hi, Charmaine. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you. Great to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation today. Well, great. Thank you. We connected a while ago, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Um, You have such an impressive background, and why don't you just tell the listeners how you got started, and how you've become the person that you are today. Sure. Thanks for that. Well, like many of the listeners uh, that are listening in, I have a very varied background um, and career path. And, And so my career path started out in the correctional system. I was a jail guard, a correctional officer, and did that for close to 10 years, both in adult facilities and young offender facilities. And then when I left the correctional system, I moved over into the nonprofit world and I was working as an executive director of a family crisis center and then worked for um, the government in health unit in a psychiatry department. I was a negotiator for government. And then I guess I was missing conflict or something because I went back to school and got a master's degree in conflict analysis and management and became certified as a chartered mediator and opened up a mediation practice that grew very quickly. And we were working in the area of family, community, and workplace mediation. And now, while I don't mediate anymore, I teach the skills of communication, conflict resolution, and collaboration. Wow. So just just thinking back and you're going to laugh, but I love the show Scandal when it was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched that? So, <laughs> so you're you're the fixer then. <laughs> yeah, the person that they used to manage all the drama and, and help the parties figure out their solution. And that's kind of what the what the part of conflict resolution, I think, that I most enjoy is that when you can get people to the table 
even if there's a lot of drama going on and high emotions and, and there's a lot to lose if they don't figure out a solution. When you can get people talking about what's important to them, why it's important, what are the many opportunities and, and ways that a problem can be solved, even the toughest situations in family, community, and workplace conflicts can be resolved. And it's very empowering when you're the person in conflict to be able to have a solution that you created instead of somebody else creating it for you. And that's what I loved about mediation is that we didn't make decisions, wasn't like arbitration or a judge. We facilitated a process and an environment so people could have really healthy, respectful conversations and with the support of the mediator, figure out the best way to come up with a solution. Yes. And see, I remember I've had one um, actual experience with the mediator, and that's when my ex-husband and I, we were going through our, our child custody um, process, and mm -hmm. we had a mediator for that. And I have to say that takes a great skill because, you're, you know, you're not biased and you have to be objective and you have to listen to each side of the story yes. and bring these two parties together so that they can come to a resolution. Yeah, exactly. So, so my question would be, um, yeah, what what made you decide to say, you know what, I love doing this <laughs> um, because listening to people's problems and solving other people's problems, because, you know, we all have our own problems. Yeah. So what do you want to do this for other people? Yes. I think it emerged um, when I was working in the correctional system. And honestly, there was so much conflict, such a large portion of every shift for 10 years was dealing with conflict from the time I started the shift until the time I ended my 12 hour shift. And and I thought there's got to be a better way. And then from a staffing perspective, in, in our teams that we worked on, we honestly didn't handle uh, conflict resolution as well as we could have. And so everything was adversarial. It was high emotion, high stress, and not very um, many agreements that people really felt uh, were a mostly okay, mostly okay. And I don't use the language win-win because I did enough mediations to learn that in most conflicts, especially family conflict, there isn't a win-win. There's just an agreement that the parties can live with and they feel wow. good about because they made it. So in, in the prison system, conflict was just um, so often poorly handled. And I saw the impact on people. You know, I saw people coming into work tired and disgruntled and I thought there's got to be another way and that's what inspired me to go back to school and in all honesty when I learned the skills of mediation and how to look at conflict differently um, it, it really transformed my life it transformed my relationships it helped me get through tough times uh, because conflict isn't really a bad thing it's it's just how we deal with it that can be a challenge mm. So, yes, so I can imagine you look at things differently than what most regular mm. people are, do because you have that knowledge. And before you get all tied up in emotions, I, I think you probably step back a little um, quicker than most people would. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's a great skill that mediators actually spend a lot of time practicing and honing because it's, it really is foundational for mediation to work. And even if you fast forward many years to what I do currently in my business, which is training 
on communication, conflict resolution, and facilitating teams to be able to work better together. Um, one of the things we do is I help people look at situations differently. There's a great quote. I, I don't know the author of the quote, but it's a fantastic quote that says, sometimes the problem is the way we're looking at the problem. And so when we can look at things differently, new ideas emerge, new solutions start to surface. Mm. I love that quote because it is, we create the problem by the way we see the problem. Yeah. So that is so, 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 so true. Yes. So my question for you would be now when, when you're called, so you're not, you're more doing training now than the actual getting in and, um, negotiating mm-hmm. and doing the conflict resolution. But when you did that, what did the companies call you when they were just at the breaking point? <laughs> was it, when, how, how did this happen? Because yes. like, like most companies, you know, they don't want to admit that something is wrong with their, their company. So right. how did they contact you? Well, often it was about four o'clock on a Friday. (laughs) Um, So we would have companies that uh, would contact us. And generally, I would say the majority of the time that we would get called. And at one point, I had five people um, between part-time and full-time employees that were doing uh, mediation and facilitation. And they would call when the conflict felt out of control for them or where it had surpassed that leader's ability to get things on track where they didn't didn't honestly didn't know what to do or when they were concerned about somebody's future with the with the employer with the company and one of the things that we did is we spent a lot of time going into different businesses in our communities to provide an overview of conflict resolution and to help company owners and human resources professionals and leaders see that if they could actually bring a mediator in or a facilitator in earlier on, the conflict would get resolved way faster and with much more comfort and and um, ease for the people that are going through it. So we had to do a bit of a an education and education and to let businesses know that conflict is, you know, you're not the only one out there. Every single company, you know, has some times where the team is challenged, where conflict arises or where communication goes sideways. And sometimes what's needed is an outside source who can just look at the problem without any attachment to it or any attachment to the solution. Yes. Now on to your focus today, which is training. Are you training um, executives at major corporations? Because um, I mean, what your your skill set and your knowledge is needed, I think, in in any industry. Yeah, my client group is so diverse from the healthcare industry to education to nonprofit organizations that have five people to big Fortune five hundred companies and the technology industry. So my client group is really diverse. And part of that is that conflict and communication skills, um, it's sort of a topic that goes across all industries. (laughs) And um, you're right. It's, it's something that companies really need to be looking at because here's the interesting thing about conflict. When you look at it from the workplace perspective, about 30%, and this is what the research tells us about 30% of 
the stress that people experience in the workplace is a direct result of conflict. Either they are in the conflict, the company is not dealing well with the conflict, the conflict has been avoided and is now incre uh, you know, increasingly adding stress to the person, or it was really poorly managed and people's relationships have become damaged. And that statistic is... Uh, we can reduce that. It doesn't have to be 30% of the stress. We can reduce that by providing people the tools and training and confidence to have these conversations. Mm. Um, and I was just thinking back as you were saying, um, speaking, I was thinking about a time where I had issues on a, a job that I had. And you're right. It's um, it's very stressful for the employee and this this firm has a ombudsman. Mm, mm -hmm. So I went to the ombudsman, told him my issue, but it was kind of one of those things where, okay, this is how I'm going to advise you, but nothing was really done on the company side. Mm. So, you know, you think about, okay, I'm going to work every day and I'm under this extreme stress. And unless, you know, and there have been people who took it higher as far as, um, seeking legal action. Right. But you know, that that's time and that's money. And then again, you don't know whether it's going to turn out in your favor, because if you're dealing with a company with deep pockets, um, that makes it even harder because they have their legal team. What are you seeing when you're training um, the companies and, and major corporations, what have you, how are you educating them about that aspect of, um, not taking it to a point where you have to be called in. Right. So part of it is helping companies understand that just because they have employees that have amazing skills at whatever they hired them to do. So for example, in a tech company, you might have hired uh, designers and technologists and programmers that are extremely skilled and gifted. Or you might be in the health industry and you've hired nurses who are incredibly compassionate, have incredible nursing skills. It doesn't mean that they all come with this package of excellent communication skills and excellent conflict resolution skills. About 70% of the workforces that I go in to train and speak on, speak with, have never had any kind of conflict resolution training. So here it's consuming our lives and, and our day, and yet people don't have that training. So part of it is me helping the companies and the employee base understand that A, conflict is natural. It's going to happen in relationships. It's not good or bad. It's how we deal with it that really matters. So that kind of normalizes it for them. And then the next piece is to look at what kind of policies and procedures do they have? Because here's, here's a challenge I see in probably 70% upwards of the companies that I work with is they'll say, oh, but Charmaine, we've got a policy. And I generally respond with something like, oh, does it say if you have a concern with another employee or a leader try and resolve the conflict with that person first. And they all say, yes. And I said, that's part of the problem because people don't know how to get the conversation started. They don't know how to go to a colleague and say, I'm really upset with you and I need to have a conversation. Or what happened at staff meeting yesterday wasn't okay. I really want to have a dialogue with you about it. Not everybody is comfortable to start the conversation 
And they hope that if they avoid it, maybe they'll just get better or the person will have this aha moment and they'll realize that they messed up and they'll come and apologize. And in my experience, most of that doesn't happen. It just gets worse. So when you can help organizations understand what conflict is, why it happens, the different ways that people respond to it and just normalize it, it takes away some of the fear because it's fear that is often getting in the way of people having these, what I call, the courageous dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. And you have to think about what if it's a, a, a supervisor or a manager mm-hmm. that's causing the problem? How does that employee go to that boss and say, you know what, um, how you're treating me is <laughs> not yeah. right, you know, without putting their livelihood in jeopardy? Oh, it's not the truth. I mean, those are even the tougher conversations for people because the employer holds the keys to that employee's future with that company. And so there's um, great fear many times for people to have that conversation. And so there's a few things that can happen. Sometimes, um, uh, you know, a company might have a human resource professional that the employee can go to and say, you know, this is not a complaint. I want to have this conversation with my leader and I'm nervous about this and I'm not quite sure how to address it. And I'm looking for some coaching. So sometimes, and some companies actually have coaching available for their employees. Uh, I always suggest when you can have that relation or have that conversation with the supervisor. And you can be honest. You can say to the supervisor, I really want to talk to you about something that happened and I need to share with you. I need to be a little vulnerable here. I'm I'm a little nervous. You're my employer, but I value the relationship with you enough that I think we have to have this conversation together. And when you frame it that way, your employer is clear, I'm not complaining. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I value our relationship and I want to work this through with you. And then if it did go sideways, that may be a time that you bring in a human resource person. If you have those professionals in your organization to maybe facilitate a dialogue with you or support Mm. you in the next conversation. Wow. So how many people do you have on your team um, that train with you? Right now I have me. And I, oh, wow. I, I, I know I went from a very a growing quickly company. And then when I decided to focus on speaking and training, I do a lot of collaborative work. So I have a mm-hmm. lot of contracts where I work with other people who have skills similar and complementary to mine. So we'll often take on big projects together. And I'll tell you that I love this way of working in terms of working with collaborative experts in different industries. So one example is I have a project where I'm working with a colleague and both of us have some similar skills, but also different, um, different backgrounds. And so we're working together with two communities that need to figure out how to collaborate on many of the things that these communities share on things like parks and recreation and emergency services. And we're facilitating the community stakeholders through this project. And and we're doing that together as a co-facilitation team. And I'm loving this approach. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that um, I try to do myself and that I don't see enough of as far as other women collaborating, mm. just collaborating with each other. Yes. Um, and I think, like you said, um, just having other, other people who are experts in their field that you can collaborate on maybe one just project together and say, this is my area of expertise and this is your area of expertise. And I think us together 
we can really, you know, have a great impact. Yep. Yeah, that is so valuable today. It really is. And employers sort of sometimes look at us like we've got three heads because they're like, what do you mean? Two different companies are going to come and work for us. But (laughs) how does that work? And so one of us always takes the lead. So the contract is with one of us and then we partner to work together. And I've done this on training contracts. You know, another great example is I was working with one company and they were wanting two days of conflict resolution training. And then they wanted a day of mindfulness training and then some training on resilience. And so the piece that I don't speak and train on is mindfulness. It's not my area of genius. I have a colleague and a friend who is so exquisite at that. So I said, what about if we do that third day together where you focus on the mindfulness, I'll focus on the resilience, and then together at the end of the day, we'll bring both topics in in a really cool way for the clients. The clients loved it. We had a great time as facilitators and trainers because it's always uh, when you're a solopreneur, which is a big difference from when I had my mediation company. I actually had two businesses at that time. When you're a solopreneur, um, it can be lonely. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. also were working on your business, in your business. <laughs> and uh, my second business that I have right now, Raise a Dream, where we actually um, help entrepreneurs and authors and speakers build collaborations and raise their dreams. That company I co-own with another um, business partner, Rebecca Kirstein. And that was one of the best things I did was start a business actually with another business partner. And we've, and you bring two heads to the table, two perspectives, and it's a really, really positive way to look at the many different ways that you can serve people with your skill set. Yes, yes. So when you go out and you train, are, do you advocate that to companies as far as collaboration? Um, is that something that you mentioned? while you're doing your training? I do. And I've, I've been seeing over the last probably five years, a lot of interest in the collaboration training that I do, because one of the reasons conflict happens, not only in the workplace, but in community groups, even on your kids' soccer teams, when all the parents aren't getting along, is that sometimes people just don't know how to collaborate well together. They, they may not have worked or grown up in an environment where partnering with other people, uh, collaborating or working better together is a requirement. So it's, it's really positive for workplaces when they can spend time learning what is collaboration and what, how do all these different personalities mesh towards one goal? And how do you get people all, if you look at that, that analogy of rowing about a boat, how do you get everybody rowing in the same direction? How do you get all these stakeholders um, involved? And in a workplace scenario, how do you tap into the skills and talents that exist on your team that you never knew your staff or team members even had? And so collaboration can produce way better results uh, when done properly than a person Mm. could achieve on their own. So what would be your advice for the listeners today on if they wanted to collaborate with someone, how would you direct them to go about that? The first thing I would say is I would not recommend you collaborate with your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I say that is because when I was a mediator, I cannot tell you how many cases I mediated that were really good friendships gone sideways. Um, And, and so 
there was a conflict and now the friendship ended. And that is just so sad. It's so sad to see. We see it in families too. So I would say um, really carefully choose who you want to partner with. Make sure they have the same values because one of the reasons collaborations will go off the tracks is because the values are too different and not reconcilable. So choose people whose values are, they don't have to be the same, but I would say aligned with yours. Mm. Choose collaboration partners who communicate well. The number one reason communication or uh, collaborations go sideways is because something has happened in the communication cycle. People stopped talking, a conflict didn't get resolved, uh, somebody just wasn't communicating. And that's, that's something that you can set on early in the collaboration by having an agreement. And this is why I recommended earlier that you be careful about uh, collaborating with good friends. And if you are, because I have collaborated with many good friends, in fact, the project I'd shared about the two communities I'm working with, that is a dear friend that I've had for 20 years now. And we work great together, but we also have very clear agreements on who does what, what our roles are, how the finances of that contract work out, uh, who deals with the client, who is that point of contact. All of those details are laid out. That way, if something is misconstrued, if there's a miscommunication, we have that agreement to go back to, to set us straight and get things on track without harming the, the friendship or the relationship. Wow, that's um, very wise, very wise advice, Um, because it's almost like don't go into business with your family, right? (laughs) (laughs) I've mediated some of those too. (laughs) And you know, some of this comes from learning, because I'm sure there's listeners who have tried to do something collaboratively with someone else, and it just was not a pleasant experience. It might have been an awful experience, and I have had that too. Um, I Mm. have had some collaborations when I didn't really know how to set it up for success. And I just kind of jumped in with both feet because I really, really liked these people and I respected them. And we didn't lay the groundwork. And then when things start to get a bit bumpy in the in the process, or we just had disagreements about how to proceed for a client, um, a couple of those collaborations got very, very strained and they lost the fun factor. They lost the enjoyment factor. And I have to believe that somehow the client gets impacted. So we've really got to watch that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So in your training business and what you do today, whether it's your, you training Mm -hmm. or your collaboration, are there lack of of a better term, repeat customers? So let's say company a, are you on their, um, schedule for let's say every quarter they want their employees to take your training or is it, um, do you get calls, you know, as needed? It's, it's a combination of all of that. I speak at a lot of conferences and those are much shorter presentations, like an hour or two hours. And then I do a lot of work with companies. I've got, I do a lot of work with police actually in Canada mm-hmm. and um, they'll often have me in every year, every year and a half to their leadership group. Or uh, I do a lot of work with nonprofit organizations and they'll often have me in on a sort of annual or every other year when they're doing their strategic plan. So they'll do their strategic plan and then bring me in for a refresher training or a, a new topic. You know, if I was there last time speaking about conflict resolution, maybe this one we do on resilience. 
And some of the clients I've worked with, we've created some really cool materials. One group that I worked with, um, they have a lot of turnover just because they have seasonal employees and project employees just by the nature of their work. So their, their team is constantly changing, uh, which is a bit of a challenge for building trust and building relationships. So what we did is we filmed the training that I did for them and chunked it out into small bite size, you know, seven to 10 minute videos. And then as a new staff came on, on board, it was their, one of their first jobs was to watch all the training so that that new staff could be onboarded to the same set of values and the same principles about communication and conflict resolution. I just thought that was exceptional that the company just had that forward thinking to say, okay, we're going to keep coming. We're going to, you know, we're going to need this training every week, or we need to find ways to continually have the training. So that's why I created the videos, but we also created a champion team where there were, I think it was about seven of the employees who actually really liked the topic of conflict resolution. And they, they got a little bit of training from me so that if people were struggling, they could go and talk to one of these early neutrals is what they called themselves. They were sort of the ambassadors in the company. And then it could go to training or HR or to a mediator if um, it wasn't resolved. So that was great. And then we had another company who asked me to train um, 15 of their leaders and human resources people in the skills of conflict resolution and mediation. So they created their own internal mediation team. Wow, that's brilliant. Isn't and that was going to be my next <laughs> question because, yeah, it's, you know, you're like the coach where you can train people to to do the things until it gets to a point where they can't handle it. Yes. Um, and I love the videotaping um, point where you say they, you videotaped the training and then they sliced it up. And then, so now they have a series of videos that they give to all their new employees to say, Hey, you know, watch this. And it's great because for them, you don't have to worry about coming out every week or whenever or for one person that they hire, you know, this month and then 10 that they may hire next month. They already have that. And maybe, like you said, they bring you in annually. So that's that's brilliant. Well, and you know what it does? I think what I really like about that kind of model is that it empowers the employees and the leaders to take some ownership into the culture of their organization and to how they interact and relate to each other. So it's, you know, if it's a training once a year, uh, people will embrace it and, and use the skills. But when they're sort of having access to this, and also by their colleagues, um, a lot of cases don't make it that far up the escalation ladder anymore because it's just being dealt with. And the other thing that it does is it sort of sets a tone that we are a company that wants to support everyone through tough conversations and conflict. Don't hide it. Don't sweep it under the rug. We'll get through it. And so it actually creates a culture of people being able to be a little vulnerable with each other and say, I've got an issue I need to talk with you about. And they don't worry about everything falling apart. And I think that's so, so valuable for workplaces and people grow as humans. Yes. Wow. I'm, I'm just so fascinated by this because it's something that it's very necessary. And my, and my question, and maybe you can answer this. Why doesn't more companies have someone like you? 
You know, I wrestle with that all the time because we actually have an exercise that we do with some of our clients when they want this, where we actually take them through an exercise to help them see how much cost there is to the conflicts that their workplaces are facing. And one company we dealt with, just a regular company, 25 employees, um, they had a conflict that started over a misunderstanding at the water cooler. Two people got into it, and we see it all the time in our workplace. Both people left the water cooler feeling ticked off with the other person, complained to their colleagues, of course. Neither one of them approached each other to talk about it. Then they stopped talking to each other, which created awkwardness for everyone, as you can imagine. Then people in the team started to build their camps, so it was sort of like us against them. And nobody was dealing with it. They still had not had a conversation. So when they brought me in and we started, so this conflict had been two years before I was brought in. The cost of that conflict to the company was outrageous because we started to look at how much sick time did these people now take off because they were stressed out about this issue that could have been solved with a 15-minute conversation, honestly. And so then there was wasted time. There was loss of productivity. The supervisor spent more time with those two individuals over a three-month period than she had in their entire career. All of that has a cost. But then there's the hidden cost, the the, the disempowerment that we feel, the impact on the culture, um, people being wounded emotionally through all of this. There's the human cost to it. So the com- that company, you know, that was sort of their wake-up call where why don't we have you come in? They asked me the same question that you just asked me. Why, why don't, do you want an office here, Charmaine? I said, no, no, no. I just want to help people learn the skills. And it was amazing that when people were just provided the opportunity, they had policies and procedures that guided them on what to do. And then they got training and support. They were able to handle those conflicts and their costs went down. People wanted to come to work. They were happy. They were healthier. And I think part of the reason why a lot of companies don't invest in these kind of training is that they refer to it as soft skills. And Mm. I really push back on that, to be honest, because I don't see conflict resolution as a soft skill. I see it as an essential skill. Mm-hmm. And not all our, we don't all come to our place of work with really great conflict resolution skills, especially if we've never had training. So um, it, it's part of it is that it's perceived as sort of like it's a great to have skill and it's actually a necessary skill. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with that because, you know, a lot of people can't handle conflict at home so that, right. you know, they can't handle it in the workplace. Exactly. So it is. It's very necessary. Well, like I said, you are fascinating because I have never um, met anyone who does what you do. I mean, I've always known, you know, there's a component, a very, very small one in the HR and Mm -hmm. they don't even delve that deep. It's just kind of, oh yeah, you know, we have an open door policy. um, Or, and then if something's wrong, then you, okay, you can come bring it to HR. But at that point it's, it's beyond repair almost. Right. And a lot of, um, I do a lot of work with human resource professionals and actually had the co- the pleasure of working with a com- couple of companies that when they started and when the second one I went on growth, they actually brought me in to work with their human resources team to actually create um, personalized training and policies and procedures. And one of the things I learned from both of those groups is that 
these were really, really seasoned human resource professionals. They had been in, in their industry as an HR professional a long time. And one of them said, Charmaine, you know, we don't all get extensive training on conflict. So sometimes we feel like we don't have the skills to help our leaders and our employees um, through this. And we see this a lot in union negotiations. I sometimes get requests to go in when when management and the union are going to start their collective bargaining for their uh, collective agreement. And I'll actually go in and spend a day or two with the negotiation team before they start negotiations and actually train them on the process of interest-based negotiation. So how can they go through this collective negotiations, collective bargaining negotiations together and still show up at work because even though they're on the negotiation team, they're still all employees of the same company. So if things go sideways in the negotiation room, sometimes it, it starts to affect the different teams in the company. So I'm really seeing a movement slowly, but where companies are starting to say, wow, you know, we can really help our employees have a great place to work, um, keep and and reduce the amount of unnecessary conflict that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I think when they start adding up their bottom line, like you said, the one company, mm -hmm. when they think about, you know, time off and productivity and how it's impacting the surrounding people, I think yeah. they'll, they'll find that it's, it's a very necessary um, um, skill that they need to have. Yes. And you know, there's such a benefit. Here's the other benefit I always say to employers, when you provide employees with this training, they go home and use these skills with their family, with their partners, with their kids, with their neighbors, with their in-laws, with their outlaws. <laughs> and, and isn't that incredible? Because what we end up doing is through the training they got at work, maybe we're also building healthier, happier families. Mm hmm. Exactly. Well, that's going to be a nice part, a nice um, where for us to stop and go into our questions. Sure. So question number one, who or what motivates you? Mm. Oh, that's a juicy question. Who or what motivates me? What one of the things that motivates me is people coming together with something to solve or something to create. So it's not always conflict. Something Sometimes it's like something new needs to be created. And you bring a diverse group of people with completely different backgrounds and perceptions together. And all of a sudden, when they start talking and brainstorming and solution building, it's like magic happens. And, and so that really motivates me watching what happens when you bring people together to solve a problem. It can be extremely interesting. And, you know, I get a lot of um, what motivates me is seeing people come through something that just felt so awful or, you know, that you wanted to avoid and they come through it and they're a stronger, better person from it. That really motivates me to see that because they did that. You know, that was the work they did. What demotivates you? Oh, what demotivates me? One of the things that demotivates me is when things just take forever. <laughs> so, when I'm working on a project and I, it's, you know, I just can't figure it out or it's taking forever. I'm one of these people that just really enjoys the momentum of things moving, even if it's not quickly, but things moving. So that really sucks my energy quickly. Mm -hmm. When was a time 
that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Mm. You know, I had a time, uh, I don't even know how many years ago, I'm going to say like 10 years ago, I had, I had posted something on social media once. It was just a question and I was inviting people's feedback and somebody wrote a really snooty, um, actually hurtful comment about me. And I was deeply offended by that. And I didn't know how to handle it. Honestly, I didn't know if I should pull this comment down. And while I was in my head thinking about it, all these people that I was connected to in social media actually um, dealt with it. And what was really interesting is two years ago, this person who wrote that actually came up to me and said, I owe you an apology, Charmaine. And he said, a number of years ago, I wrote something really hurtful about you on, on social media. And um, I saw everybody came to your rescue and supported you. But um, he said, I've carried that for a, a number of years and I want to apologize. I was not in a good place personally. I had some stuff going on in my personal life. And so that was a really hurtful moment. And it was so, I just had so much respect for him coming to me that many years later because he could have just dealt with that on his own. He didn't have to come and apologize to me. And, and we have just in, so enjoyed staying in touch now. And I mean, I was long over it. <laughs> so it was a non-issue for me and it took a lot of courage for him to come and apologize. Wow. What is your fear? Oh, my fear. What is my fear? Probably a couple of them. One of my fears is starting something big and not being able to finish it. So where I have a big idea and I'm working on something um, and, and then I'm almost there and then for some reason I can't finish it. That's a fear. And I also worked with my coach for a long time years ago on not the fear of failing, but the fear of having success. That was a bigger mm -hmm. challenge for me. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, how long do you have for that question? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, so many times. You know, there was one time I think about there was a phone call I had with someone and it just didn't end the way I hoped it would end. It didn't end badly or in a strong disagreement, but it just ended feeling a little sour. And I had things to do and, and couldn't get back to it right away. And there was sort of that inside voice that kept saying, just phone her back, just phone her back, just phone her back. And I didn't. And I noticed that um, things got a little bit, str not strained, but perhaps awkward the next few times I saw her. And, and that was an example that still stands out for me that I wish I had just picked up the phone even for 30 seconds and just set it right. I call it, I call it the mulligan, just the do over, you know, just mm -hmm. the do over of how I wish the call ended. Mm. Is there a time when you wish you had not done something? Oh, I can think of when email first came out <laughs> and I used to multitask. I, I know some of you listening can relate to this. And I used to multitask and I had sent an email um, that I, I was working on two things. So I was working on a Word document and then going back to this email. And I actually typed in the email, what was in the work document. So the poor <laughs> person who got this, first of all, it made no sense. And thank goodness, 
it wasn't anything confidential, but it really, from my perspective, um, you know, that's just not okay. And it didn't look uh, overly professional. So that was the day that I, I vowed there are certain things that you just don't multitask on. And, and that could have been a more serious issue, depending on what I had been working on at the time. Mm. What is your definition of success? Mm, definition of success. I think my definition of success is when you, there's two parts to it for me. One of it is when you achieve or accomplish or finish something that had meaning for you or a task that was a struggle for you and you got through it. And then the second part of me for success, which has nothing to do with accomplishment or completion, it has to do with personal growth. Like success for me is, am I on track? Am I showing up every day um, in alignment with my values? Uh, have, have I worked really hard at the things like my family relationships and my marriage and my friendships, the things that really matter? Have I spent time and nurtured those? And and when I can say yes, that feels like success to me. Mm. How do you recharge? Oh, recharging is an interesting question because I absolutely love what I do in my business. So my challenge could be turning it off. My husband uh, told me he was going to get a neon sign that said, <laughs> we are closed. And <laughs> when I wake up in the morning at 6 a.m., babe, I've got an idea. He wants to just turn on the neon sign that says we are closed. So for me, it's, um, I have to, I have to actually work hard at turning things off. And some of the things that help me turn things off are, I love going out for walks with my dog and my husband. That helps me turn work off. Um, sometimes it's just watching a show that I really enjoy that takes my mind somewhere else. And the other thing is sunshine for me, being out just sitting outside having a coffee even just 15 minutes of sunshine can be recharging and the last one for me is music it's interesting i find when i get super busy i forget to turn on my stereo or the music and when i turn my stereo or music on i am much more productive and much more effective and i actually take more breaks which is a good thing mm. what are you awesome at Ooh, what am I awesome at? I think I'm I think I'm awesome at working with other people. I thoroughly enjoy the the process of coming together with other people to create something, to do something, to make a difference together, to raise somebody's dreams. And and it's something that that I know I'm I enjoy and it's something that I have some skills on. What legacy do you want to leave? Mm, that one's super easy for me. The legacy I want to leave is bringing more kindness into the world. I'm so committed to this that uh, four years ago, we did a North American kindness tour where we traveled 14,000 kilometers or 10,000 miles across North America on a kindness tour to bring more kindness into workplaces, communities, and families. So that's my legacy. Have more kindness. Wow. Okay, Charmaine, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Mm. I'm going to actually quote somebody for this motivational takeaway. It's Oscar Wilde's quote, and he says, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. 
And, mm. you know, the world just needs more of you. So don't compare yourself to others. Don't try and be other people. Just be your best version of you. Recognizing that does not mean perfection. Wow. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you in your social media platforms. Wonderful. Well, they can find me on Facebook at Charmaine Hammond. And on the website, it is CharmaineHammond.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So reach out, connect. I'd love to have a conversation. Charmaine, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate that. Bye. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.